Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. How's everybody doing today? Everybody, have you Titans fans recovered yet? Are you ready for your bye week? I had a, I had a Titans fan who sent me a Twitter DM last night and said, oh, my Lord, I'm ready for a bye week. I think everybody is. Bye week. Get yourself right, right? Get yourself right. Everybody. Just get well, for the guys right. who are playing, I think it's great for them. Uh, but I, I'm more nervous as expectations go back up, but then I don't know who's going to be eligible to return. I want to know who's returning because what's going to change? It's just the concentration, mental, and physical break. Well, that's always good. I, I'm going to tell you that before a player. But I, I, if I'm Tennille, I, I got to have one of them guys out there. One of them. Because that would make everybody else better. Because then the defense has to address you with multiple people. And then hopefully I can pick and choose which guy can win the one-on-ones. A receiver. Oh, by the way, John o. Smith looked really good. Sure did. Yeah, he did. And they, they put those plays in. Some of them look like Titan plays. The hand yeah. handoff run. Yep, notice like, the same oh thing. Oh, my God. And he was bumped up. He was looking over to the sideline after a couple of those catches and runs. Like, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't have this guy. I told y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not as uh, elusive and loose as Hunter Henry, though. But uh, he definitely is a, you know, really good tight end. At, at one point. A Titans DB was chasing Hunter Henry, and Hunter Henry was like a full helmet taller than mm-hmm. the. Yeah. He's he's an elite athlete. Yeah. Yeah. They don't make many people like that. Uh, he's he's on yeah. He's one of those guys, and it's what's becoming commonplace in the National Football League, and he's, it's starting in college. A lot of these former receivers that are tall get converted to tight end, and they put on like fifteen pounds. Next thing you know, they're really good. You know, tight end, and the passing game becomes you know the big thing. And then you say, okay, who are you going to put on a linebacker who doesn't like the covering space, or you want to put the shorter six foot DB on the six five guy who can run right the same speed as you. So now you're not guardable really because jump ball you win every time. So he's that kind of yeah. He's a different athlete than Johnu. Johnu's kind of more the built like a rock, you know, running back skills after the catch. You know. Oh, John, tight end, yeah. John is one of those dudes with a shirt off who looks like a Batman suit. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's built up. Oh my gosh, yeah, he ripped up. Yeah. So you, uh, there. I was remember, a, I remember Coach Mack talking about he was he didn't play one game, and I was like, well, I'm not paying attention to New England. Well, when I watched him, he did the same thing versus Atlanta. He played in that game too. Yeah, he, he looked good. His versatility, which you pointed, they handed in the ball. They. You can, routes, boots. you can you can scheme him up on something deep because he's fast enough to get deep mm-hmm. on the guys who would be guarding him. I mean, he's a problem. Yeah, and Hunter, be- Hunter Henry is a much more skilled player. Yes, yes. I'm gonna say this, and people are gonna mistaken what I'm really saying, but that's what Ferkser is, but a smaller version. He's a smaller version of that, so he doesn't have the advantage of jump balls, but he has the wiggle to run routes like Hunter Henry. And we haven't been seeing it. And I, I don't I don't know why. I, I, I really can't put my finger on besides he's not in a groove and now that he's healthy finally, you know, because he's still, you know, when they target us every now and then, he'll still drop a ball here or there. And he's probably only getting three targets now, but game. You, you pointed out something before the season. He had changed physically yeah. to you. Yeah, he did. He, he got looked bigger. different physically. Yeah, yeah well, I, I, I didn't really – like that idea. Yeah. I'm about to say this. I did the same thing. Like, right. oh, man, you, you weigh 193. You need to put on some weight to have durability. And I'm going, but I didn't miss any games. 
I didn't miss any game. Nope. All right, let me get – I got up to 200. Seven pounds on a, on a skill guy is a lot. Oh. And I got up to 205. And I'm like, oh, man, I'll run through a brick wall. Erk! Couldn't stop. I think I probably missed more open field tackles in that season than I ever did. Oh, that muscle wasn't built to be on this frame. And maybe that happened. And now he's kind of getting back to what he was last year. Because uh, sometimes people are trying to say, okay, you're a really good route runner. We want you to be an every down tight end. You want it as a player. And then all of a sudden you put on the muscle mass. You're not quite the wiggle guy you used to be. Now, are you a more complete tight end? Can you block? Can you do something? Yeah, but that's not your niche. Your niche and how you made it in this league is as a pass catcher. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't ever sacrifice that for anything else. And so I, I don't think he uh, is as quick out of his breaks and everything else. You know, some people will beg to differ. And, oh, yeah, 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 he is. Well, no, that's his role. He is what he is. And, you know, don't try to make him into something that he's not. And that's he's not an every down tight end. Like that. Let's uh, let's take a couple calls. Josh in Portland has been holding for a while, and uh, it's our show and it's your show. We love hearing from you guys. Six one five seven three seven one zero four five on the Mark Spain Real Estate Hotline. Let's uh, let's get Josh and Ernie in this first segment. Hey, Josh, appreciate your patience. Hey, man. Hey, what's going on? Uh, going to your point on the Titans wide receivers. First of all, I'm I'm happy with the way we played with all the Planet Fitness guys we picked up to go out there in New England. <laughs> but, I like that. I like that. Speaking on the receivers, you, you made a comment that, you know, the receivers aren't open. And I've noticed that no matter who's in the game, we don't have any separation with any of our receivers. Like, is it our route trees aren't complex enough? That is, is it the receivers? I mean, what's y'all's take on that? I'll hang up and listen. Josh, thank you. I don't know if it's the route tree or the play calling. You know, you know what happens is I think who's ever the, the main target and through his progression reads, I think initially is not open. So then there's a part of a, a quarterback. You start getting to your second and third read, and you go, uh-oh, I got to get rid of the ball. I'm getting rid of – I got to get rid of the ball. I've been getting hit a lot, and I don't want to keep getting hit. And so then your rushing throws are trying to force a throw to your second and third read, and they're not open. Uh, I'm sure somebody's open every play because it's just the way this league is built, but not who you're really trying to target based off of the coverage that is being shown to you before the snap. Right. Uh, so – you know, and everybody probably takes their turn. And that that's where an elite player comes into play, a Pro Bowl player, and that you can depend on them. And you haven't gotten a lot of work with some of these guys in life. Now, Chester Rogers is solid, but he's not a game-changing type player. Just a solid, good slot. Probably, you know, fourth guy. You know, comes in in rotation. Does a good job. Maybe even a third guy. Uh, but, you know, Westbrook Aquina is not going to blow anybody away. He's a good, you know, good fourth or fifth option, then all of a sudden he looks great. Um, at times, maybe even better than that. Uh, maybe a three. Uh, but, yeah, they, they <laughs> I think that's hurting Tannehill more than anything. Also, by the way, as I said in training camp, when he was throwing all these interceptions, everybody tries to bypass because of his salary and his season before. Well, it's just like anything else. Practice tells you where you're at. What You have no other gauge in NFL than to talk about practice going into the season. Now, you play it down, but you say he didn't do that the year before. That's what I kept saying. Right. He didn't do that the year before. I don't know. Why, why all of a sudden now? Is our defense that much better? Now, which could be true. Mm-hmm. It could be. But I'm still going to say, hey, man, we, we need to, to stop doing that because he was forcing balls then. And he he he, he didn't have uh, really Julio and, 
AJ Brown a lot during training camp, but you know they were they were around enough. He didn't have to do that. So that there were some concerns there, and I think maybe he's starting to feel the pressure because you don't have Henry, and now it's your time to shine. So you're trying to prove it. It's the same thing I said about Bayard. You know, when you're becoming an elite player, now you're trying to force things and all the pieces aren't in place. You're right. not getting a pass rush. You can't. The timing won't be there for you to make a pick. It just it won't be there. Uh, so I think that's where Tannehill is at because he hears the naysayers, regardless. They ever, he hears it, and he wants to show that he can do it. And I think he's capable with the right pieces. Sure. With the right pieces. So I just think he has to settle down, take what the defense gives him, and just be that guy. You know, that, and that's okay. Uh, so... Yeah, can't you know the receivers are who they are. That's why they were backups. Sure, and nothing wrong with that position. And sometimes they can show glimpses of being really good uh, at times, but they don't have. They're not game changers. Right. Like even Marcus Johnson, now he's out. He his speed made him a game changer just because of his speed. I ain't say he could catch and do all these things. Naturally, he can do do that. But he's you know he's got to stay healthy. Right. But he could be a game changer. Because of his elite level talent, he has the talent, but he has a history of getting injured everywhere he goes. You know, all you can do is you know availability. So some of these guys have been available. So you're trying to you know manage through it and get them better as you go, and hopefully they continue to improve. I mean, people were throwing uh, you know Fitzpatrick you know under the bus. I mean, he's gotten out there. He's done an okay job. Yeah. Uh, we could say, oh, he's, if he would have, no, that would have never happened in training camp. He never got released. Nobody'd be talking about, oh, he's he's a scrub, right? I'm like, no, this, this guy's all right. He just needed to work more than others to get to where he needed to be. Maybe he concentrated on the wrong things during, you know, before training camp, before sure. he got there, and then realized, uh oh, I should have been doing this, right? So hats off to him and the coaching staff to get him ready. He looked, he just looked just as good as the rest of those guys. I mean, and granted, none of those guys were drafted. But he looked just as good as them. Let's uh, let's squeeze Ernie in real quick before we take a break. John Bryce going to join us in, oh, 20-plus minutes or so. But uh, Ernie's time is up now. What's going on, Ernie? Hey, good morning. Hey, I, I want to bring up the fact that nobody's talking about um, <clears throat> our zone plays. We have, and if you to prove my point, we have 20 years of looking back at how Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck would beat us in the zone. And our, our players sit back, they wait on the guy to catch the ball, then they run up there and try to and, – and, but they don't, even, they don't even try to make contact at the same time the ball gets there. Because when you're in the zone, you're looking right at the quarterback. Our guys just sit back and they, and they wait till it's way too late, you know. And, and that's coaching. Coaching should fix that. You know, and if you want to play the zone, you got to hit the guy when the ball gets there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think he's talking about zone coverage. And I get exactly what he's saying because I used to get really, really frustrated with our linebackers because that goes against our passing stat as a secondary. Mm-hmm. And so most of the linebackers, you know, they, they, they bite the cheese because they're aggressive nature. <laughs> you know, and we had yeah. different zone coverages. But I, you, you tried to educate them on route recognition because they're focused on the running back and the running game. Right. They're doing 907, but you try to teach them what the combinations are and where they're supposed to be. Like, let's, I'm going to call a high-low. High-low is when somebody goes up and runs a dig. Well, then somebody comes underneath as a shallow. If he's supposed to be playing zone in between them, don't jump that shallow one underneath. 
stay back, let him catch it, and then come and ear hole him when he catches the ball or make a solid tackle. Or maybe you get a breakup, you know, PBU. So, you know, it, you know, it's just the nature of the position sometimes in the zone, but you got to have route recognition to understand how they're trying to attack that defense on that play. And sometimes that gets missed uh, because of their position. So you try to kind of go through those and walk throughs and you try to talk it through. I'm talking to the linebacker. Hey, man, when they run this dig, you're supposed to be underneath that dig. Do not jump the, the cheese underneath on the little hook or the running back is the safety bow. Let him catch that wheel. Rally to that. Sure. They want to go get that guy immediately. They want to go that, get that him. That won't hurt us. Yeah. Right. But they're not conditioned that way. So you have to, you know, teach them a lot. That's why when the, the guys that are past defenders in zone do a really good job, Jayon Brown, he understands it. Why? He used to be a safety in college. See, so he understands how those routes come and play, and he makes plays on the ball. Uh, so, you know, it's just – it's, it's tough. It's harder than what I'm saying, but they need to just continue to practice it over and over again to understand situational football and when to attack in a zone and when to, all right, let me man him up in this zone. Uh, Jeff and Franklin is on the line. Uh, some great, gosh, some great phone calls yeah, today. Really good. Uh, keep really them good. up. 615-737-1045. We know it was a crazy football weekend. It's Monday. We're here to talk to you about it. Jeff, if you hold, we'll come straight to you when we come back. It's Blaine and Mickey on 104.5 The Zone. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Uh, when you call, we go to you. Mark Spain Real Estate Hotline. Got some open ones. 615-737-1045. Jeff in Franklin up next on the Blaine and Mickey Show. Hey, Jeff, what you got, man? Hey, this is for Blake. That was a great call on the zone coverage, but mm-hmm. on the telecast yesterday, they made numerous comments about when they played man defense that the Titan players never were looking for the ball. And if you, if you look at that in the past few weeks, seven or eight times out of ten, you get a personal interference call or they don't know where the ball's at and the receiver catches it. Numerous times yesterday, Bayard did that and got, in my opinion, got burned. I'd love to hear your all's comments on that, especially Blake, and actually what you thought of Bayard's uh, uh, performance yesterday, especially the tight end he was covering that he beat him. Um, I'll sit back and listen. Thank you so much. Yeah, let's check in with Blake here and see what he says. Yeah, but yeah, Blake is uh, stepped out for a second, but uh, Blaine, <laughs> Blaine is actually here. But no, I appreciate the call. Great question. That now, is a good I, question. I thought, I thought KB was up and down. Uh, yeah, Byard. He he was up and down throughout this game. Uh, you know, in the long run, I thought he was initially the mistake there in the zone coverage on the crossing route to Bourne, and then Jack Rabbit jumped inside. Uh, Jack Rabbit is it's not a disciplined player for me. Uh, if I was coaching, I don't I don't like undisciplined players. The game at defensive back now is super hard, uh, and he doesn't do the little bitty things to me enough to make me feel comfortable. That's about Zach Rabbit. Now on um on the plays as far as deep balls and not looking back in man to man coverage, I'm I'm gonna say this: playing man to man is really hard, and when to time up, when to look for the ball is extremely tough. And I'm, I'm going to give you an example. An example is, okay, imagine if you looked, because this happened to me, and it, the ball zips right by you. Zoom. And you look. And you're like, oh, I missed. Cause that's happened. And then you go, and he catches a touchdown. Then you go, oh, I'm not looking. I'm going to just play his hands, eyes, and all the little tail tapes that tells you when to, to look. And to me, it, there's a part of you have to get past this panic 
inside internally because he may have a step on you or a half step and the accuracy in the pros is so accurate that you don't want to look until you are there. Mm-hmm. Now, if he's running a normal route, you're not supposed to look at the receiver, I mean the the ball, until you're two or three steps into your break. We call it the punch. When you're two or three, you, you look at your guy, and then when you get to close to him, then you look. And then sometimes the ball can fly by you then. That's why you stop looking. Mm-hmm. So if it happens to you enough, you're kind of scarred in that, I'm going to just play handball eyes. That's what you do. And then now if they slow down and you're running, well, he knew he was slowing down. You didn't. You didn't know where the direction of the ball was coming. And so then you get contact, pass interference. There's a lot of times I go, man, that wasn't interference. You know, the ball wasn't catchable. He wasn't going to get there. You know, it was an underthrown ball. Uh, so I think this would be a little more an attitude to that. But it, it's really hard with all the passing going on and spreading out the defenses. You get a lot of one-on-one matchups, not just DBs, even linebackers. Uh, today, so it's it's a it's a tough game, and the game has been set up where offense put up points. So uh, that's the new era of the NFL, and pretty much everywhere now in college too. So you know, to play defensive back is really hard. Uh, that's why they've come up with all these new techniques. Even it took a minute for Nick Saban to get used to the new techniques. He used to want to play press man to man. Well, if you were in press, now they got press bail. They got soft pedal press. They got all these things because if you don't have vision in man-to-man, you can't make plays on the ball. And I'm talking about interceptions. Mm-hmm. You can still make plays, but it's, it's going to be really difficult. Uh, and the athletes are so much better than in my era, and they're so much longer. and They have length. You you see a guy covering them a guy all day long like a jackrabbit, and then next thing you know, he's 6'3", and he's just jumping up over him, catching the ball even though he's covered. Mm-hmm. So – it's a tough job. So we can get picky, but that's you can go to every team, and that's happening to everybody. Maybe not as much on some, depending on how good they are. Uh, but I, I think when you watch Christian Fulton, I watched him real close in this game. You see him being very technical, even though he's only like 5'11 guy. Really technical and plays the ball well, and he's always in position where he can see. Even if the guy catches the ball. He's there right immediately to tackle him. And that's how I would kind of train and coach my corners in this league today. You know, some people, you know, and I I used to get agitated myself personally. A guy catches a five-yard out on me. Oh, man, dang, he shouldn't have caught that. Well, guess what? We left one another down. That five-yard catch is not going to kill us. I don't care if it's a first down. Right. It's not going to kill us. What's going to destroy us is he goes a touchdown. Uh, So, you got to teach patience and technique, and it comes with confidence and reps and reps in, in a game. And uh, I'd be interested to hear what Fulton has done this offseason uh, going into this season because he took huge leap uh, this year. Uh, I like what I saw last year, but we, then he got injured. But, man, he, 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 he plays it the way you have to play this era of, of passing the football. And he, so this – He's always got vision. He's always on top. And this tells me that, that he put in the work outside because he only yeah. played six games last year. Yeah. And he's only played eight games this year. He's played 14 games in his career. And you're talking about him being a technician and all the things that you look for in a guy, which he's not got, been able to get a lot of experience on the field. This means he's learning. He's watching film. He's working with people who can help him because he's improving while only playing 14 games. It's his offseason as well as the coaching staff that's there with him now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You're right. He hasn't played a lot. That's why I talk about, okay, man, he's been injured a lot. But when he's out there, he's even last year when he was a rookie, he was making plays. Yeah. So he just kind of took it to the next level, at a, man, at a rapid rate, and his confidence, and that's part of it too. Playing defensive back, 
you got to have this air of confidence to you like you the best guy out there. I mean, covering these guys. I mean, <laughs> some of these fast, phenomenal athletes. I mean, just imagine you checking. I mean, I, I saw Julio and A.J. Brown. I'm like, man, these dudes are – I mean, Julio is a specimen. You go, man. And then he runs the same speed as you, and he's like 6'4". Right. You go, what? Yeah, he, you know, he's up probably 360 dunking, and you just flushing, you know. So let's just <laughs> tell you his athleticism here. So you can run with him all day, but you still got to put yourself in position to try to make a play on the ball ultimately. And that doesn't mean you're going to always win. Uh, but you're putting yourself where you can at least try to make a play on the ball. Yeah, it's, it's it's hard, though. It, it is really hard now in this league to play corner for sure. Can you even describe – because we get a lot of phone calls. It, if the DBs have a bad game, somebody might call and say, well, you know, why didn't they turn around or why did they have trouble with this? And, and it's a long game and there's a lot of throws. And you're trying to explain to people, you, you break it – Nobody, people who listen to the show, they listen to hear you break down football because nobody does it better than you, and you also do it in plain English better than anybody. You explain things in a way that everybody understands, whether they ever played or not or even watch football or not. That's a gift that you have. But can you even put it into words? You're running, like you've always said, you're running as fast as you can run, faster than you've ever thought, and you're watching the defensive back or, or watching the receiver. It's not, if you turn around like, Look at the quarterback. That guy's gone. He's 10 yards away from you. How in the world can you even put into words the process of just a a man coverage route, per se, where you're on a guy and that guy runs a route and you're trying to watch him and watch his – are you watching his eyes or his his hands to come up? What what goes into that? Well, first of all, I I was just a really good football player and had great instincts. But when I got into the league, I realized that that wasn't going to be good enough. And so – Fortunately for me, I had a real good coach. Then I took it to the next level in this offseason. But Jerry Gray, he says, there's nothing I can teach you besides being a technician. So first of all, you must understand the call, right. the actual call. There's brains that goes into this, by the way. You, you must understand your call. Why do I say that? Because then you must understand where your help is. Where is your help based off of routes? Where do you get help at? Whether it's deep, short, intermediate, there are guys passing across in the in the night, <laughs> they, they, you know, or in the throwing vision of the quarterback. Where do you get help? Now, what is your technique? Play to the technique. This what this what'll make a DB coach go crazy. If you're supposed to be outside leverage, he better not catch an out. He better not catch an out. We call the perfect call, and you let him catch an out. If if he does, you better tackle him immediately. Right. Uh, you can't get beat on an out, but he's not supposed to beat you out. So you know. I think becoming a technician, which is a lost art to me, because here's what happens. Let's look at the whole process of how you become a DB. Most everybody's playing wide receiver in high school, right? So you say, well, forget that. I'm going to go play DB so I can get on the field. You're a great athlete. Everybody can't play wide receiver. They're throwing a bound around a yard, and you, you want to get the stats. Well, you go to play DB. Nobody's teaching you how to play technique. They just say, you go get that cat. You go get that cat. And then in college, maybe you're getting a little bit more than that. Then when you get to pros, all of a sudden that becomes a huge deal. Right. Become a technique. So it takes discipline to be a technician. So when I was talking about Jerry Gray taught me how to be a technician, it took the whole offseason and preseason for me to finally get it. Now that's also understanding the whole scheme of the defense. Mm-hmm. Understand what that's why I said when they go when I when at Auburn, when I when he called, he called man to man, you go, Well, crap, man. I mean, it's not I mean, we just trying to defend versus the end zone. Right. We, we're not trying to defend the whole field. Right. So why are we calling a blitz? They don't know any better. But you get in the league, guys start looking around like, why do we call that? 
You know, you want to play something soft, and then that's sure. when that's when you're supposed to play soft. Right. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll come up and rally and make the tackle. Right. Uh, so I think be, becoming a technician is really key to have somewhat success. That's not going to tell you when to look for the ball. You got to go through your own experiences in a game, not at practice, yeah. in a game, to see if how you're going to respond after you get beat for a touchdown. Always you know, talk about when a guy jumps on your head and, and puts his butt on your head and catches a ball for a touchdown, how do you look? How do you feel? Are you going to tuck your head in your butt like a dog? You know how the dog tuck his tail? And then you come to the sideline looking like you got the Bambi eyeballs? Yeah. Or are you the guy, which I was this guy, I dare you to throw that freaking ball over here again, even though he scored a touchdown. I dare you. You adapt perturbed. So if you don't have that guy with that kind of mentality, he won't last long or he'll get exposed at some point. It's just fascinating. Uh, it's, it's a tough job. Uh, I, it's an impossible I, I feel, job. You can't I feel touch bad guys anymore. You can't touch them at all. Then you can't hit Then you can't hit them when they do catch it. You can't hit them. Yeah, so that, I, I hate the, the touchy. I was a grabby Philly guy, so I, I would be cool with the referee and figure out what I can get away with and ask him about you know how his kids is doing. And then he'll be like, oh, Blaine, hey, you keep your hands down. You can, you put your hands up, though, and I'm going to call it. Oh, okay. Thanks, 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 thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, hey, man, it, it's, it's an art to it all. It, 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 this game is really hard. These guys are, you know, exceptional athletes. These, these guys are bigger, stronger than, than I ever was and uh, when I, during my time. So mm-hmm. these guys, it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> you just got to know you're going to get beat for a touchdown. It's always about how do you respond to getting beat. Sure. Because most of these guys in college hardly ever got beat. For a touchdown. Well, sure. Mm-hmm. Very rare, unless you were, you know, playing the other league teams. If right. Would be in the NFL anyway. I mean, you mentioned Christian Fulton. Look how great he was in college mm-hmm. at LSU. Yeah. Oh, he's still probably pissed off that he can go first round. I, I would be if I was yeah. saying about the career mm-hmm. I had. Uh, okay, there's a ton of stuff happening in college football. John Bryce uh, has been on it. He's been on it all day. Even had to delay jumping on with us just a little bit to try to get all this news crammed into football scoop. But he's going to join us next. John Bryce next, finishing up. This show with a bunch of fantastic college football talk on Blaine and Mickey. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. It, it This was a crazy weekend in college football, crazy action on the field, crazy with what's going on in the coaching world. So uh, when that happens, it's only one phone call for us to make John Bryce, who joins us now. Uh Bryce, first of all, this was just a fantastic weekend of college football. There were so many great games. Let's just start there for the spectacle that we got to see. All right. Do you have any specific game you want to start with? Or I'm I thought assuming it was Alabama-Auburn. A... Well, Alabama-Auburn is one that we've talked about a lot today. And then Jim Harbaugh finally getting the monkey Ooh, off his back yes. in, in a snowstorm in Ann Arbor. It just What a beautiful ending to that game. Yeah, and the and the other neat thing is, and I think all of these games were on different networks, but yeah, you started mm-hmm. the day with yeah. Michigan, Michigan State uh, at noon on Fox, and it basically, or, I mean, excuse me, Michigan, Ohio State at noon on Fox, that basically transitioned you into the Iron Bowl, and then you capped your night um, on maybe ABC, I think, with the Bedlam Bowl, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, which was a fabulous game. And if you want to stay up really late, even the BYU-USC game, <laughs> Late Saturday night, the last game of the pre-Lincoln Riley era was a really compelling contest, and BYU coach Kalani Satake, in my opinion, is probably a top ten coach in college football. Ooh, 
Well, let's get into some of these coaching moves. Again, John Bryce is on. So you brought up the pre-Lincoln uh, Riley era. He goes to USC. So here's my first question about this before we even get into what might get to high pole or not. or how, Is this a lateral move? Um, from Tennessee to Oklahoma, would that be a lateral move? No, oh, Lincoln, no. Lincoln, uh, Lincoln, Lincoln Riley. For Lincoln Riley from USC to from Oklahoma to USC. Oh, hell no. No, that's not a lateral move. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> USC is a um, top five job in, in the in the sport, in my opinion, because every year you're going to get enough talent within a hundred mile radius of your campus to put together a roster that can compete for a college football playoff spot. Yeah. Oklahoma is a great job. I'm not at all fl- flighting Oklahoma as a job, but Oklahoma is not as good a job as USC, and there are a number of uh, factors for that. And by the way, the Oklahoma job isn't as good right now as we visit as it was six months ago before they joined the SEC. And I think you'll see mm-hmm. um, Oklahoma have a lot of really good candidates right now for this position. I think Brent Venables is an early front runner, but I don't think it's the same group of candidates they would have had six or eight months ago if Lincoln Riley just up and left for the NFL before Oklahoma joined the SEC. So, no, it's not a lateral move. Oklahoma to USC um, is a step up for Lincoln Riley, period. Mm. Reason why it's interesting when you say lateral move, I know historically USC is better, but is he getting paid more? Yeah. That, that, that that's why it could become it's a lateral move. I don't the, the numbers haven't come out, but I think he was making around seven million. I, I'm not sure. What what is his numbers? Do you know? Um well my boss at Football Scoop, uh the guy the the president owner of the company lives in Baton Rouge, is is deeply connected there. We're both fortunate to have some some contacts within the LSU community. Uh, the word there is that Lincoln Riley turned down somewhere in the neighborhood of $12 million or so a year, um, maybe on an eight-year deal at LSU um, for around $100 million. So I would think that the word is that USC matched or exceeded that. Now, $12 million in California is crazy money. It's not as long as $12 million in Louisiana, but um, that's cost of living for you. So he's definitely getting a raise. He's definitely getting a huge raise uh, in pay and in profile, um, but it won't be the same as if he was making $12 million at, at Oklahoma or, or LSU. And I don't think this was a move strictly about the bottom line. I think this was a move about uh, – it was a business decision SEC. about his future and his ability to win, yeah. and you're going to have an easier time winning at USC with that homegrown talent in the Pac-12 than you're going to have at Oklahoma for the next couple of years in the Big 12 and then in the SEC, period. John Bryce uh, laying it down. All right, one one more just while we're going down this path. Yeah. So Who are the targets? So, yeah, who who before we get into LSU, anything like that, who are the targets for Oklahoma? This uh, Bob Stoops is leaving the broadcast booth to be the, you know, the coach for the bowl game. Should Tennessee fans be at all nervous that at some point, th- th- some point this gets to Heupel or is there still a frosty deal from being fired all those years ago? Yeah, I, I have enough people I trust telling me that as, as much as Heupel loves his alma mater and appreciates what he did there with Bob Stoops, that, that Bob Stoops and Josh Heupel maybe didn't part on the best of terms, that some people thought uh, Stoops might make other staff changes rather than Josh Heupel at the time, but he went with Josh Heupel and, and kind of sacrificed him early in his career. So um, And Bob Stoops, still carries probably the biggest stick of anybody around the Oklahoma program. So I just don't see it going to Josh Heupel. I don't see it going 
that far down the list. It's not a knock on Josh Heifel. I think if not for Lane Kiffin and, and Sam Pittman, Josh Heifel would be your SEC coach of the year. Um, but I just don't see it getting down to him. Here's another critically important thing to remember that I refreshed myself with today looking at his contract. If Josh Heifel leaves Tennessee before December 15th, 2022, he owes $8 million. Not, not December 15th, signing day coming up here two weeks from Wednesday. December 15th, 2022. If he leaves before then, somebody has to pay Tennessee $8 million. And, yes, Oklahoma has money, but I'm not sure that at this point in time Oklahoma wants to invest $8 million just to get Josh Heifel away from Tennessee and then have to invest crazy money to hire Josh Heifel. And, again, I would point to the fact I think Heifel – has proved to be a very brilliant offensive coach. He far exceeded most expectations for the Tennessee program this year. But we still don't know enough about Josh Heifel as a recruiter, and I think that's what everybody is kind of waiting to see before passing full judgment on what Josh Heifel can or cannot do at the University of Tennessee. John Bryce, our guest football scoop at John D. Bryce 1. You want to follow him on Twitter right now. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about uh, Napier to uh, Florida. Is that a good fit? And I guess explain to me why it is. I think it's um, I think it's a really good fit, uh, to be honest with you. I think that – and when I've studied Billy Napier over the past couple of cycles, and, and he and I have some, some really close mutual friends um, from his time. Well, first of all, he's a Tennessee native from Cookville, and then we have a bunch of mutual friends in the coaching world. Um, he's learned under Dabo Sweeney, he's learned under Nick Saban, and he learned under Jimbo Fisher for a year that just happened to be the year that Florida State won the national title uh, when Fisher was head coach at Florida State. So he's already got ties in the state. He's already got some name recognition there. And he's learned under three national championship winning coaches that are out there right now. Maybe the only three. There's, there's a crazy stat out there about how many coaches are active going in from this season into the next that have won a national championship and Jimbo and Nick Saban and Dabo are right at the top of that list. And Billy Napier worked for all three of them. Also, when we listened to Scott Strickland Sunday a week ago, so just eight days ago, nine days ago, he basically telegraphed in his press conference. And I I said it to some people at the time that he was going after Billy Napier because he talked about developing talent, sustaining success, and also being able to recruit and develop that talent. And that's what Billy Napier has done. And he has, won 39 games, a chance for a 40th win in just four years at uh, Louisiana Lafayette program that is not rich in heritage, but he's turned them into a nationally viable program. Um, I would think that Billy Napier is getting ready to get um, one or more assistants from the NFL ranks to join his Florida staff. Um, I think he'll put together a really good staff. I think Florida made a really good hire with a guy who understands what life in the South and life in the SEC, particularly from a football standpoint, is like, and who's been very selective and, and frankly, ignored Tennessee in recent years and ignored Mississippi State or didn't take jobs at Mississippi State or Auburn or Tennessee or even South Carolina. He's been very, very selective. I, I like the hire for the Florida Gators. No doubt. Went with John Bryce with Football Scoop. I guess lastly, before we let you go, give us the laundry list of people who are, who are in or a small list uh, at LSU. Yeah, man, um, that's the crazy one to me. It's mm-hmm. um, 50 days today, guys, since they fired Ed Orgeron. 5-0, 50 days, and they still don't have a guy. We actually just finished recording a football scoop podcast, shameless plug, 
Um, so if guys would, if you all, your loyal listeners would download that soon, it will be up on the site soon and all the regular platforms discussing the LSU job. Um, I think you can't rule out Mark Stoops there. You can't rule out Lane Kiffin there. Probably can't rule out Matt Campbell there. Um, but I think they're going, I know they're going after um, Brian Kelly. They've made a run at Brian Kelly. So um, now, Southern Cal made a run at Brian Kelly, too. And Southern Cal is a little bit better job than LSU for reasons we've outlined. But I do believe from talking with people throughout the day, my boss does as well, that LSU has at least targeted Brian Kelly to make a run. Here. Now, well, well, before you just do a bombshell there with Brian Kelly. All right. Who do you think will get the job? And is, are they on this list? Uh, look, I would have thought that they had a, a solid shot at, at Lincoln Riley. And there are some people on the Oklahoma staff who said they went into this weekend thinking they were getting ready to move to Baton Rouge. So I don't know. I don't think it's going to be Jimbo Fisher at this point. I still don't see Brian Kelly accepting LSU's entreaties, um, but he makes about seven, maybe seven point four million or so at Notre Dame. So I would expect Notre Dame will have to pay the man to keep the man. Oh my, he's gonna get a raise. So you still got us hanging on who's gonna get the job at LSU? <laughs> I don't know that we know. I don't. I mean, I don't know that we know. I don't know that LSU knows right now. We're fifty days in, and we're seventeen days, sixteen days from the early signing period. And oh, by the way, as we've all seen today. Um, it became open market in the transfer portal. So LSU needs to hire a coach yesterday. Yeah, big time for transfer portal. A lot of a lot of kids will be moving around. But to, lastly, give us a name for the big powerhouse in football, and that is Duke. <laughs> Before you go. You know, yeah, no. Listen, I think Duke um, has an, a lot of potential, a lot of upside. Uh, we saw David Cutcliffe win 10 games there in a regular season. That's yeah. been several years ago. But we saw David Cutcliffe win 10 games there. I really like Marcus Freeman, the Notre Dame defensive coordinator, to be in the mix there. I would watch Tony Elliott, the Clemson offensive coordinator, to be in the mix there. And I've had a couple of different people tell me today that Tennessee defensive coordinator Tim Banks could become a viable candidate for Duke, um, especially a year in which Banks has really elevated his stock and been named a, a semifinalist for the Boyles Award given annually to college football's top assistant coach. Okay, we'll let you go on that note because a lot of Tennessee people just started crying. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, boys. Hope you all had great Thanksgivings, and I'm sure we'll visit again, but uh, happy holiday season to everybody. You too. You talk about stuffing the turkey full of information right there. It's eight minutes of just flat-out knowledge from John Bryce. What better way to to check out after that? Man. Oh, man. They were nervous for Hypo, but they may lose the D.C. Gosh, and he dropped that right at the end of the show. Mm. Man, John Good Bryce boy. with no mercy with that. They're just living in Tim Banks right at the end. On this beautiful Monday. No doubt. It is a beautiful Monday. Hey, the sun came up. Bye week for the Titans. They're 8-4. and four. They got a two-game, essentially a three-game lead in the AFC South. Let's just see what happens. We'll get into who's going to be back. Off. We'll get into all that as the week goes on. Coaching carousel in college football. Gosh, it's Christmas time. It's a lot to talk about. I'm excited. Yeah. But in the meantime, and yes. in between time, yes. on Monday, this beautiful Monday, Mickey, what's up? Peace.